listening to Sci-Fi TV Rewatch, episode 525. My name's Dave, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Wayne, as we continue to discuss season two of the Apple TV Plus series, Foundation. And don't let it be said that we're not there for our listeners. You crawled out of your deathbed to <laughs> make this recording tonight. Yeah, and uh, deathbed's a bit of an okay. exaggeration, but yeah. Okay. I've been feeling poorly the last couple of days, but, you know, the show must go on. Yep. Once again, what, is this your second time with yeah. COVID? Yeah, this is my second go around. Yeah. Wow. I had it probably, well, I guess, a little over a year ago, last July, and now. But you know, it's definitely going around again now. Something's going around. So. Yep. Yeah. Well, fortunately, both times you had it was post-vaccine, and uh, n- neither of us are vaccine deniers. So your symptoms were far less severe than. I guess the deniers would have. So anyway, that's a good right. thing. <laughs> True. All right. Yeah, we got vaccines uh, and boosted and all that stuff. So, uh, you know, it's really not bad. I don't really feel bad. But, you know, once you get those two lines, should uh, yep. not. Uh, though, you know, like our, our um, school system is no longer giving us uh, leave for COVID. Like last year, you get five days that give you paid leave for it. And uh, that is not the case anymore. So I guess it's okay, Dave. I guess if you get COVID, it's fine to go in and teach the kids, right? Yeah, that's the message they're sending, yeah, I guess. I, but uh, I don't know. Yeah, but I mean, I, I, I guess on the one hand, uh, yeah, I, I heard uh, a doctor on uh, CNN the other day talking about the fact that COVID is pretty much here to stay in the same sense that the flu is here to stay right. and that – you know, getting vaccinated for COVID will really be no different than getting it for the flu. So, you know, I guess schools and, and workplaces are, are going to have to continue to evolve their stances towards their workers. And, you know, fortunately, I don't have to deal with that anymore. Right. Anyway, all right. Uh, for those those of you out there that maybe still do have to deal with it, we typically record either Monday or Tuesday. It happens to be Tuesday this week. Feedback's got to be in by Sunday, 6 p.m. Eastern time. Audio feedback for now has a strict six-minute time limit. All right. Um, I'll go ahead and go first with what I'm watching, and I have returned to the Stars historical sci-fi drama Outlander, which I know you still haven't seen. I have uh, not, though it's on, like, Netflix or something now. So. Right. Now, the problem with the Netflix version is it, it, it's short, the last season or two, right. but they're long seasons, so it'll take you a while to get caught up. But we're currently in season seven, which is going to be divided into two eight episode parts each. Uh, that's very and, prohibitive for me. I don't know if I can commit to that. So, well, yeah, but by the time you finish it, maybe it'll be on there. But anyway, uh, season eight's going to be its final season. Uh, I've mentioned before, and I'm sure a lot of people know, it's a time travel tale that a lot of people contend, oh, no, it's a romance novel. Well, okay, whatever. Uh, It's a time travel tale that (laughs) begins time travel romance novel. Yep. Well, it begins in 1946, then it moves to 1743 on the Scottish Highlands, back to the present in the 1950s, back to Scotland, back to pre-revolutionary war America, 1980 Scotland. You get the idea. But- it's really good. I, I mean, the the time travel elements are handled so well, I think, and the acting is just superb. You know, you hear that phrase "prestige" uh, series thrown about, and, and I and I think HBO was probably the first streaming service to really use that for shows like Band of Brothers, The Sopranos. Um, you know, certainly now uh, Game of Thrones. I certainly would include Outlander as one of those prestige dramas. And it was adapted and and created by Ronald D. Moore, who we know from Battlestar Galactica, and it's based on a series of novels. Um, The other thing that I started, uh, gosh, was it last night? Might have been the night before when my wife fell asleep early. It's on Netflix. It's been on there for a while, and it's called Into the Night, and it's a French series that basically the premise is that the sun is doing something wonky 
And once sunrise comes up, if you're outside, you die. <laughs> and these people are on a plane, and that's how they're basically trying to outrun, you know, uh, sure death. And again, it's one of those things that, all right, it's not bad. Let me watch one other. And, and the episodes are short, 35 to 38 minutes. So I knocked out the six episode season one, um, you know, in one sitting. So, you know, it reminds me of that. What was that Keanu Reeves movie where he's driving a bus? Oh, speed. Have, yeah. Right. I mean, it kind of reminds me of that, except I don't think he ever could stop and refuel. Although it's been so long since I saw that movie. Maybe he did. Right. No, that was but, the point. They had to keep the bus running. Right at like I believe they had to refuel while they were driving. If I, re- it's been ages since I've seen the movie though. But okay, yeah. but uh, but anyway, of the two, I would certainly recommend Outlander if you already have stars, or if you want to go ahead and get started with Netflix. Uh, I think like maybe the first five seasons or so are available on Netflix. All right, what do you got? Um, I'm really not watching anything new. I think I talked about Ahsoka and Winning Time last week, and uh, those are both great. And uh, the you know current episodes are, you know, have been really strong. So, you know, same. Um, you know, the new thing is I did uh, get a copy of the Peripheral out of the library. So okay. I'm going to uh, probably the book I'm currently reading. I've only got a couple pages left, so I might uh, since I have all this extra time in my hands, Dave, I can probably get started on the Peripheral. Maybe even have it all completely read before too long. Well, I, I, I didn't read it for a couple of days. I got back to it today. So uh, I'm just at the part where Burton realizes that somebody has put out a $6 million hit on him and Flynn has to go online and she has her first uh, meeting. I'm making air quotes because it's done virtually with Wilf Netherton. So that's pretty much where I am. So I'm still early in the story, okay. but I think there might be other books that... Um, I don't know that it's necessarily officially a, a sequel, but I, I got to look into that because, okay. um, you know, I'm really liking it. But anyway, speaking of really liking, let's get to Foundation, episode four of season two, where the stars are scattered thinly, written by Lee Dana Jackson and David S. Goyer, directed by Mark Tondurai, released on August 4th, 2023. I really liked last episode, and I gave that one an A. I didn't like this one as much, but don't get me wrong. I'm still probably going to end up with an A minus. So, you know, I I thought this was a really strong episode. Um, Yeah, I think it was a reserved judgment till the end. I have an idea of where I'm going to kind of grade this one, but I did like it for sure. Okay. There's a couple things, though, because I rewatched the previous one another time. And watching it, like I guess it's the third time I saw it. Um, there's a couple. Th- First of all, I I discovered I was not. I felt a distrust of Glaywin Kerr in that episode. Now, I, 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 that kind of changed with this current episode, but just watching it and like how you know we see Bel Rios and how damaged he was by Empire and and you know and everything and how you know completely sadistic they were with his punishment. And here's Glaywin without a scratch on him, looking perfectly fine and healthy and everything. It just, it seems strange. He was always trying to get, and I guess now that they, he might actually be like Bell's conscience, but, it, you know, it seemed like he was trying to get Bell to like, you know, almost admit to disloyalty or something, you know, and everything like that. So I don't know. I'm reserving that. I, I, watching it, I don't know. For some reason, I got distrust. And also, I, I think we had mentioned Kale. And we're unsure. And then rewatching again, there's actually a scene where, you know, uh, Gail actually, you know, shakes her hand or something touches her. So she is indeed a flesh and blood person. But of course, that leads to many, many more questions and everything. So, well, and when you say flesh and blood person, um, you know, what's well, the definition well, of a person? Right, right, right. right. I mean, she what that some... exactly? Well, she is a physical entity, I guess. Correct. She's okay. not a. Um, Figment of her imagination or a AI hologram. hologram or something like that, right? Yeah. So, all right. Well, you mentioned Bell Rio, so why don't we go ahead and start with sure. that? And you know, we see Bell and the crew arrive at Suena, and 
I think we, we are comfortable with this approach from the hundreds of episodes of Star Trek that we have seen because the reality, the captain of the ship and his or her number one would be unlikely to go to the planet's surface right. initially. Right. We would send a bunch of red shirts down or even least, guys. Yeah. Um, I was always so, surprised how often Kirk went on away missions. And I'm like, should you really be doing this? Like you have, this is why you have a first officer, right? Like it's like, it's like the, his first thing in his job, I believe. Now again, I was never been in the Navy or the military of all at all. So, um, I certainly understand uh, commanding from the front, right? And and uh, being a leader is like, I don't ask any of my people to do something I'm unwilling to do myself. But then also you have to like, you know, at times like we, the who's the the direct the the new warden on um, on Terminus, uh, you know, when he says, "Well, I'm not going to go in there. Someone's got to stay back and lead." You know, like well, of course we think and that's kind of like a cowardly thing for him to say, but. On the other hand, like, he's not wrong, you know? Right. I mean, it's one of those things that sounds great in theory, not so much in practice. Right. And to his credit, he eventually does go into uh, the vault. But, but you know, here, uh, okay, fine. The two of them are going to go down to the planet by themselves. And, oh, by the way, we're not even going to take a shuttlecraft. Yeah. We're, going we're to- just going to throw on a spacesuit and jump out the side of this ship. How about that? Right. And to be fair, when they did their landing, it, it did seem as if the technology absorbed virtually you know, all of the impact and, and they seemed no worse for wear. But that, that but was the, very like, I don't know if you've seen Star Trek Into Darkness, but there's. Oh, yeah, sure. Yeah. We covered it. Yeah, yeah. So, right, right, right. We did. That's right. I forgot about that. So, you know, there's the scene when they're with, uh, you know, Khan and they. Uh, you know, basically shoot out from the Enterprise to the other ship, and they, all they have is like their spacesuits on and you know, everything. This very this scene reminded me a lot of that. Uh, yeah, and and you know we get a lot of backstory in this episode, and that's brought up in, in our feedback section. And sometimes you know maybe they throw too much backstory, but here I think it's important because they they meet that ragtag. Uh, group that wields a lot, maybe all of uh, abandoned empire technology and weaponry. And on the one hand, you got to love, you know, the, the bravado with which uh, Bell meets, you know, this group because they're clearly outnumbered. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know, what is it like 10 to two, maybe something like that. And, and, you know, Glaywin and Bell simply have their, their rifles, but they have their wits, they have their training. And I was almost surprised that when they realized that one guy, you know, is heading over the dunes that, you know, he didn't, you know, fire off one shot and we see the guy fall down in the sand. Right, but, right. <laughs> <laughs> but, so, I mean, I, I was like definitely almost waiting for that, you know, but I, I kind of like how they... They didn't go there because, you know, I mean, that's, we've seen it um, before. Um, I just, you know, there, there's certain things I try not to be too much of a nitpicker, but I mean, so, I mean, he drops his rifle, right? And then stuff goes down. My, personally, I think my first move, instead of like trying to fight these people hand to hand, I might just like pick up my rifle, you know, that's just yeah. right next to me. Well, I'm not sure I would have ever dropped it to begin with, but well, true, you know. Um, and, and I'm always surprised that you know Bell and Glaywin didn't have some kind of secret glance that um, I'll not, I'll take out the five on the left, you take out the five on the right, and well, that's what Glaywin is says. Like basically, it's like, dude, what you know, what, what happened to our signals? You know, like right, you know, like you're supposed to give me a heads up on this, and uh, as we see at. By the end of the fight, the Bell is exhilarated by the fight. Glaywin, not so much, but you know, Bell is, and you just get a feeling like like he's this. He's just been 
wanting to kick the crap out of someone for so long now you know like he's just got all this pent up years of frustration and anger and everything he's just been dying just to go you know fist to fist with somebody so i mean maybe that's why he just leaves the rifle in the in the sand well right and i guess our our question is whether or not this is going to negatively impact his leadership decisions and i think that's what glaywin is most afraid of at this point and it also gives us a sense of the empire. And, you know, one of the first things I, I jotted down after watching this episode, and, you know, after I say this, somebody might say, well, duh, you know, is this simply a marriage of two weakened kingdoms looking to strengthen their positions? Uh, and yes, of course it is. And, you know, when, when we get to, you know, that storyline, you know, we'll talk about the fact that not everybody's in favor of, of the impending marriage. But in this case, I think it is important that we realize that apparently Empire just literally abandoned, you know, how many other outposts? And, you know, did they do it quickly? Did they do it so quickly that they didn't take their weapons with them i mean okay i mean so they left one rover and you know 10 rifles i mean we don't we don't know how much they left but it, it it's hard to believe that this is the only little group like this so we don't really have you know a ton of information but i think we have some and i, I think it's important with uh you know what we learn here but we do learn that they're there to meet a contact and again i think it's one of those deals once they they go to this dude's house and they learn that he's been writing reports for what does he say 40 years yeah something like that and he's never gotten a reply and you know the 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 show or movie escapes me but i feel like you know we've encountered this kind of deal before that this person is just so devoted to his or her assignment well even in van helsing well, now granted in van helsing it was only three years that I, that the uh guy i think the, the classic example is what was the guy's name like woodruff or something like that in uh butch cassie and the sundance kid the guy who's uh inside the 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 train car with that has the money in it and um you know, refuses to, to leave, you know, it's a very funny interaction between like, Hey, we're going to blow it up. Why don't you come on out of there? He's like, no, you know, I'm, I, I work for Mr. Whatever. He keeps saying the name. And then, you know, they, you know, they rob the same train a little bit later and then the same guy is still there. and still, um, the, the officious servant who is, uh, sticks to his, um, his, his job despite the, uh, you know, maybe better more common sense would tell him not to or something you know okay uh, by the way we covered star trek into darkness october 17th 2013 all right wow so yeah well, really just 10 years ago huh? 10 years ago <laughs> so um but but so you know um alan from minnesota i also believed it had said like you know this is really bad kind of management by the empire uh, this guy keeps sending out his reports and they get no response. Uh, but to me, it's like just a complete, as you said, the indicator of how little they care about the outer reach. Like it was like this empire couldn't give two craps about it at all. They, they wouldn't even send anyone out there. They, they, they basically have no concept or no care of what's going on out there. And that is how the foundation was able to thrive. They They did it under the, basically the cover of the empire's ignorance and lack of care. Yeah, right. Exactly. And, um, you know, once they meet with this guy and, and, and we certainly get a sense that, you know, I mean, we already kind of knew this about Suena that it had fallen into barbarism since the empire withdrew. And again, I forget who mentions the fact that the empire's withdrawal is both good and bad, and, and you, you understand exactly what that means, uh, because there's really no government, and, and of course there's a lot of people, at least uh, in the United States, that uh, think that might be a good thing, but hopefully we can get rid of them. But 
you know, as, as Bell and Glaywin talk more and more about this guy, I, I, I find it fascinating that Bell is surprised that magicians can fold space. And, and we talked a couple episodes back about, you know, the, the fact that priests uh, are essentially magicians and that they are preaching the gospel of Harry Seldon. And okay, fine. But on the one hand, we know that Bell has been in prison for, I think they tell us, but I forget, is it six years, maybe six something years, like that? I think, yeah. But I'd be a little surprised that Glaywin isn't aware of what these magicians are able to do. And, you know, well, that's the, the thing. No one, no one's cared. Well, I guess that's the truth. No one, right, no one right. in the empire gives two craps about, like, they have no concept at all. They, they've completely ignored the outer reach. So, you know, this is now just like, you know, hey, I hear there's something going on. You know, like, he hears like these little whispers, but it's obviously, hey, it's way too late. But, you know, it's just, they, they don't care, right? The empire just cares about itself and could care less about the outer reach. Right, and you said whisper, and we learned that they're referred to as whisper ships that that are able right. to, you know, I guess, well, I, whatever. I, I think what's concerning to Bell is he realizes the magnitude of the technology that the foundation has. It's like this is supposed to be some podunk Hicksville, man. Right? Like you're not supposed to have better stuff than we have. Like you're giving stuff to your priests that only our emperor has, you know, that technology that repels people from their body. It's like, yeah, right. Like he's and, gotta and be, I, you know, he's, he's like saying, no, oh, this is, there's actually something to this. Like he, he went out there thinking it'd just be like some, ah, I'm just gonna go out there. It's probably gonna be some crackpot out here in the, in the sticks, but actually no, wait, he's, there's something going on here. Yeah. And you wonder once, we get to the point where bell reports back to i assume day whether or not day's going to believe him now granted he might have visual records because that seems to be a big thing and yeah you'd think the in the least. future right there there'd be no reason that that bell won't have visual records i mean certainly he should have that that video of constant with her personal aura device that you, you just mentioned. So, you know, we'll, we'll see. Um, but then of course the lynching party shows up at the guy's door and were you surprised how readily bell put a bullet in the guy's head, even though he pleaded with him to do it? No, because well, a, we see, you know, bell is, he's ready for action, you know, in the one, uh, but also, I mean, the guy spoke to him like uh, as a one warrior to another. Now that guy wasn't yeah. a warrior per se, but he spoke the language that Bell understands. You know, yeah. like he, you know, he made. If if I were going to show this to my students as a great example of rhetoric, I would say, you know, the speaker in this situation realizes he doesn't have a lot of time, so he has to lead off with his most, you know, important point. And he's just like, here's my main reason why you should do this. And it's a good one to, you know, to Bell's mind. So I will talk a little bit about uh, Harry and Polly and Hober. And, and, and you know, I want to start with Harry's line to Polly that to be effective, a God has to be intermittently wrathful. And on the one hand, he's absolutely correct. We understand that. But I love the fact that at the end of their meeting, Polly doesn't finish his wine upon leaving the vault. Yeah. <laughs> and I thought, all right, well, that's not like Polly. Seems out is, of character, it, yeah, a little bit. Yeah, is it is it that part about being intermittently wrathful that that maybe had an impact? But there's a lot to love in, in, in this part of the storyline. Um, you know, right away we see Polly, Constant, and Hober wake during their flight. And immediately we're thinking, what's up with Brother Constant clearly flirting with Hober, who I don't don't want to say he wants none of it, but, you know, on on what we know about Hober, you'd think it would have been the other way around, that he would initiate the flirtatious behavior with her. Now, at the end of the 
scenes, you know, this part of the story where you learn that, well, she really has a plan. <laughs> Were you surprised by her plan? Um, well, I mean, yes and no. Like, no, and that obviously, you, you, we, you know, the flirtation was easy to catch, even from the previous episode. Yes, and that she was so forward about it, you know, and everything. And I didn't really expect that from her. But you know what? That really makes me admire her, this character and this actress uh, a lot. You know, like I, this, she's quickly rising up the charts as one of my favorite characters on the show. Yeah, I, I mean, it's just the, the her attitude about everything. I mean, on the one hand, she's completely devoted to Harry Seldon and everything he stands for. And I guess on the one hand, I think it's easy for us here in the 21st century with our 21st century sensibilities to think, well, we wouldn't expect her to be so like we we think just because she seems to be some kind of uh, follower of a religion that then all of a sudden we're putting all these kind of yes um, you know expectations that we have from religious leaders in, in our world and, and that's not necessarily the same either here or in in their world right right and, and she makes it clear to him that she wants him to be her first and he's like. Well, A, I'm not a robe chaser, and B, I'd, I'd much rather be your 10th. Yeah, I like that. I don't <laughs> want to be the first. I don't want to be the first of anything. That's right. actually a pretty good line. I can see it, it was because we know it so transpend, uh, transcends just sexual encounters. I think he Again, means it just for life in general. Like, I don't well, want yeah, to be yeah, the right. first. I don't want to be the guy who sticks out, right? Right. I don't want to be someone famous or powerful, right? I just want right. to make money. Right. Um, I'm, I'm not going to be the first one in the vault. I don't care, you know, what it's all about. Well, uh, obviously, Harry has other uh, uh, designs on that, and, and he's drawn into the vault. Not surprisingly, Constant immediately follows, as does Polly. And and you mentioned the director, and I, I forgot from a previous episode that he is her father. Her father, right. But I also loved, and, and, and Polly mentioned this an episode or so back when they were meeting in that big conference room about how Constance's father has clearly enriched himself in his role as director. Right. And it doesn't go unnoticed by Harry either, who makes a, at least two comments about that. Yeah. And, that's all he, actually, that's all he says to him. Right, this nice suit, which is like you know, he says all this, like I need to meet with you. I need to meet with you. Hey, nice suit, bud. You know, yeah, it's just like such a blow off, right? Like he understands how he's being belittled, even though he is nominally the most powerful man in that room. Um, you know, Harry Seldon treats him as the least. Right now, those of us that are followers of Doctor Who can't help but uh yeah, yeah. have been waiting for that oh it's bigger on the inside <laughs> you know they didn't say those specific words but but you they know did. they wanted to you know yes and and i think they gave us enough so uh yeah. so that was awesome and and uh, i don't know that necessarily time passes differently inside the tardis I know it does outside, obviously. Uh, yes, the, right. But uh, but inside, it's just the the spatial issues. But we learn that inside the vault, time passes differently. And oh my god, I mean, <laughs> I know what constant. You're yeah, well, go ahead. You can say it. No, no, go I, ahead. I, just, it's fine. I, I mean, you know, they're done with their meeting, and Hober comes out, and Constance like where you've been you've been in there for like three days and he's like three days polly goes three hours she goes ah oh, looks at him come on so yeah that, that was a great exchange and yeah well yeah and right that the whole idea is like it's just for them it's been moments from when he left right but for hober it's been like two days that he's been in there right so much so, so that he had to go you know poop over. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yeah i could have done I without that way i took a dump over there 
<laughs> yeah, you know, that's one of those lines that, I mean, I get that it gives us more insight into his character. Yeah, but there are other ways they could have done that. I, but, but I think it's also just funny, and I think one of the Allens mentioned this, I believe, as well, that, you know, just like this very serious um, situation that they're in and this serious place that they're in. And he's just like, oh. Yeah, I, just, I had the poop so over there. So, you know, yeah. like, to bring that kind of low comedy into it, it was just, I thought it was a funny line. I liked it. We know that, that Bell, his mission revolved around finding out how much of a threat that the foundation is. And now we learn that, that Hober and Constant and Polly, their missions are to prevent a war. And again, right away, the director prevent a war. Right, it's like he wants to go to war, and we're thinking like, dude, I mean, look at what you have here. Yeah, I I don't think you're ready to go to war against the foundation at this point. And then we go back to psycho history and and something that that Harry has said many many times about little individual events not really being all that important in the big picture. And, you know, we've mentioned this, you know, probably each week over the past couple of weeks. So how they're going to prevent that, we don't know. But we don't exactly know why he split the team up. Right. I was a bit disappointed. We've talked many times about, you know, the narrative issues anytime you split the team up and this is a team that has just been thrown together and already you know we're separating them so right. i wasn't happy about that I, I will say yeah i i definitely thought maybe even at the end somehow that they'd still be able to find a way to team up or something but yeah you're right because as it is you know, the, the show is flipping back and forth from one narrative to another and, and in this one i don't do we see day at all in this one i guess he, he must have been in there at some point no we see dawn and we see dusk right but we don't see day so this is a complete lee paceless uh episode you know um so i think they needed more time to work out yeah maybe, probably i yeah, don't doubt it at all um but you know it's like we've there i feel they're already getting kind of stretched a little thin with the number of narratives they're trying to like juggle at one time and now here they're taking you know one of those narratives and splitting it again so it's like uh, all right but yeah you know we'll see now one yeah now one of the things i did like about the way this episode was constructed is that they gave each of the three storylines an opportunity to evolve rather than 90 seconds here let's cut to one of the other stories 90 seconds there let's cut you know they gave each one a good three four minutes before moving on to the next one and then they would just kind of rotate through the three storylines so i i agree with you that you know things can be stretched thin because we have so many characters to you know keep track of particularly with empire where there are three of them and it's easy to say well dusk doesn't really matter he's basically on house retirement well we learned that no that's not true at all i mean you know ostensibly it might be true but in fact it's clearly not true because uh you know why don't we jump into that story you know because we learn that dusk had a sexual encounter with the queen's uh, I guess with, handmaiden uh, Rue, yeah. Rue way back and it was to her total benefit because right. her family moved up the social ladder yeah. she probably made a ton of cash from it too. Yeah. So she was completely good with with how all of that transpired and and the two of them had a you know nice little um, trip down memory lane and then he's like well you know we record everything if yeah, you'd like to come to my chambers film. and like how creepy is that yeah well it, she doesn't like you know say yeah no not well, not at all what is she gonna say you know he's the freaking emperor well i understand that but but i guess the the most important thing that comes out of that for me is that we learn neither of them 
is completely sold on this union. Right. And I think each is intelligent enough to know that, well, I work for a weakened kingdom and something's got to be done to shore things up. This might not be the best approach. We don't know what other options were out there. I, I think you know that that great scene when Dawn and Sarath are walking through the garden, and she asks, "Well, did you ever think about why they didn't pair me with you? Because we're basically the same age." That's a good question. I mean, I understand that's not the way Empire works. That day is the dude in charge and you know dawn is in waiting but it's a legit question i mean well, right if this is what he wants right like for these two families to be joined you're right you would think he would instead of taking it for himself though it is right. his idea but they're all the same person so you know technically you think it's all of your idea or whatever um but yeah you it, you, it would seem to make more sense that way and because they do physically age. So Day will get to a point where, you know, he's in much more fragile physical state than she will likely be. I mean, obviously anything can happen. We don't know what their medical technology and True. life expectancy and all that stuff. And he uh, is an amazing you know. physical specimen though, too. So He, he is. Uh, there's, again, there's no question there. But I, I thought that was fascinating that that comes up, but also her willingness to be so open with him. Do you think Day was behind the assassination of my family? You're thinking like, well, okay, yeah, you're slated to marry him, but that might give the dude pause. And, and you know, are you really in that? position of strength that you're willing to go out on a limb and ask that kind of question because you don't really know dawn right i mean you you know you had a couple meals with him and and that's pretty much it so i I thought that reveals a lot about her but also his response reveals a lot about him and he seems like a good dude (laughs) for sure yeah but he he says listen like no i'm not capable of that but I might be later. Yeah. You know, I, like, uh, time changes people. You get, you, you become a different person as you get older. So, you know, like I can tell you right now that I wouldn't kill your family, but who knows what I would do when I'm a little bit older, you know? Right. And then not only does she broach that subject, but then, you know, she reveals the reality of the situation that whoever was behind the assassination of my family, it can't be an accident that they allowed me the weakest link to live. And and we talked about this last week where she admits I was totally unprepared for the job I'm about to embark on, that I was simply groomed to go out and have a good time and be a party girl. Right. And now I, I face a, a completely different perspective and well you know to be fair do we really buy this party because she's playing the game you know like she's like said oh i wasn't you know like she's playing this innocent like i wasn't prepared for this blah 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 all this stuff but yet look how not only she's playing you know uh dawn here and then the dude uh later as well you know as well as it appears that maybe she might have been potentially behind the assassination attempt? Yeah, I mean, she says no, but obviously there are ways of finding out. And then I I think, you know, what I want to say to what you just said is we wonder whether she's deliberately trying to drive a wedge between the three. You always want to call them. Totally what she's doing. No question about it, right? Which is what I'm saying. Like, she knows how to play the game. She's not some innocent puppy. Like she's she's uh right up there. She's she's metternicking the crap out of this. So then, are she and Rue 
in concert with what they're doing? Did they go into this with this plan? And we haven't seen them talk about it yet, but that doesn't mean that's not what's behind right. all of this. I would, I would put my money on, yes, that they are colluding for sure. Okay, cool. You know, and then that final scene where Sarah meets with, you know, the one guard and she's basically asking him to, uh, you know, steal a visual record of the assassination attempt on day because she wants to see, well, how the hell did he survive? Now, on the one hand, as she says, look, I control, you know, the money for my kingdom so I can pay you whatever. On the other hand, you think, why would Guy risk yeah. doing that for somebody he doesn't know, really? I mean, you know, I, I work for Empire. I, I Maybe I'm going to work for you someday, but I don't right now. Well, so, one thing is we know that there, there are some serious cracks in this Empire. Yes. Know, so that, you know, this is, this is what happens, right? Your Praetorian Guard is uh, – not you know does not worship you and is actually working behind your back so you know that's like i guess a general sign of you know like bel rios and his disobedience i mean these are all little things that which is what day is or cleon all the cleons is worried about is that you know the empire is falling apart and these little things are examples of the decay of the empire Right. And, and, you know, you, you mentioned about the Praetorian Guard, and I know you know this, or you wouldn't have used that term, but, you know, if anybody out there doesn't know, Asimov, you know, really used the fall of the Roman Empire as, you know, the basis for the stories. And, sure. and, and I think somebody mentioned their feedback that actually the first novel, and I'm making air quotes again, of Foundation was actually several short stories that were kind of stitched together. Um, and amazingly, it uh, seemed like a coherent whole once uh, once that was all done. So, uh, you know, so we'll see what else about, you know, any of the three stories. Oh, okay. Um, so, I, I mean, I, I said, like, from the last episode, I was starting to feel some distrust of Glaywin Kerr, especially his last name being Kerr. Like a dog, yeah, like a dog. But when you call okay. something a cur, you're not just a dog. I mean, it's just, that's well, I mean, no, today probably no one even know what it meant. But back in the day, <laughs> it was a really like I was even worse than calling someone a dog, right? To cur, it's like even worse, like a like a like a wild, untamed kind of dog, like a low, like unbred, you know. But uh, in this one, I, I'm, I'm starting to see. Well, maybe I was a little hasty in my judgment of him. Um, and that it seems like he's just kind of like Bell's, like, you know, there's a little Jiminy Cricket, you know? Um, so, but again, we'll, we'll see. I, I still, like, I'm still, I still got my eye on you, Glaywin. I'd still not necessarily hundred percent trust you, but I think in this one, I saw a little bit more, um, being the guy who tries to pull Bell back a little. Yeah. Yeah. Because I mean, this is not the Bell. No. That. You know, you know, he know knew when they were separated. Right, right. He's he's been changed because he's he's had stuff happen to him in the last six years. You know, um, and he's just a shower and a haircut and shave does not change those experiences he had when he was uh, in prison. So uh, the the little scene between brother Constant and Hober where they you know the wine becomes like the symbol between them and. She's like, well, you must be a very optimistic man, you know, like, cause he says he won't open it, uh, until something, you know, amazing happens. So obviously there's some optimism there that the, the, this great moment of his life is yet still hasn't happened quite yet. And he's waiting for it. Um, and also the fact that, that she says, well, you know, you said this wine's from a world that is half the world is in the sun all the time. You could have said half the world is in the dark all the time, but you didn't. So that shows that you are an optimist and, you know. And Hober, who we would not necessarily pin as an optimist, but uh, that that's actually, she makes some pretty good sense there. You know, the uh, Sarath taking off all the, um, the the makeup and everything, like, I think one of the guys who uh, responded uh, maybe said something about this. You know, I would have, 
I would have told her whatever she wanted to know as well. She looks, she was so pretty with, with, uh, with, without like all the trappings and everything like that. And she knows that, right? She, she wants uh day to, uh, sorry, Dawn to trust her and to, to see her as a real person and not some queen or some uh, member of state or something like that. So she uh, kind of, uh, pairs it back, but using still the quarters and tricks that she's been taught. I always think of things later, but I think that might be all I have. Except that was really cool that the little suitcase escape that that they uh, Bell and, and Glaywin had when they opened up the suitcase and shoot to the sky. Yeah, almost like the uh, SG one transporter rings. You know. Yes. Yep. Yeah. So. It's cool. Yep. All right. You want to get to listener feedback? Let's do it. All right. So we're going to do things a little bit differently this week, and we'll be right back. Hello to everyone at Sci-Fi TV Rewatch. This is Alan from England here, mostly talking about Foundation Series 2, Episode 4, where the stars are scattered thinly. What else I'm watching? I'm keeping up with Invasion Season 2, which is getting nicely weirder. In fact, there's a character in the first episode of season one, quite a famous actor, who then is attacked, and then you never hear about again. And I'm still wondering if they're going to turn up later in season two. Who can say? Also, re-watching Good Omens season one, because it's been ages since I've seen it, and now season two is out. Meanwhile, on Foundation, where the stars are scattered thinly, Hoba wakes up and uh, blends in, winning more of Brother Constant's interest and her view that he must be an optimist. Meanwhile, on Trantor, the royal seal is everywhere, although it more resembles the Rebellion Alliance symbol from Star Wars, I thought. The queen-to-be is definitely playing the ordinary younger look here to get more information from younger Dawn. Very different from her initial appearance, which was a lot more formal and queenly, you could say. I like how Dawn has the self-awareness to say he isn't capable of such an assassination at the moment, but is very well prepared to think that he might be later. Although most of us think we might turn out to be something like our father or something like our mother, it's got to be something when you're living with two other clones of yourself to see how that might be. And I've just realized, of course, uh, Cleon is an anagram of clone. But I think that's just coincidental, because when Cleon was first named, I don't think there were clones of people or sheep or pretty much anything. Dusk is catching up with Enjoyna Rue in a big way, which leads to considerations of memories full and missing, but at least not implanted, which is something. Belle and Glewin wing it down to the service of Suena and immediately run into trouble. And we see a big difference in the attitude between the two of them regarding battle with the locals. Maybe Bell's got a lot of pent-up rage that he needs to uh, express. Hoba definitely doesn't want to enter that vault, uh, especially after finding out about the previous uh, attempt from the warden. But he's pulled in anyway, followed more or less willingly by the brothers and the new warden. I like that two minutes equals two days time acceleration business, which could also help characters to span the centuries at some point, although maybe that's the wrong way around. Anyway, the time-passing-differently situation is uh, quite familiar in sci-fi, but used to good effect here. They all meet Harry, who only seems to have one thing to say now and later to the new director, fine suit, which is a pretty good example of damning with faint praise, I thought. Belle and Glewen meet that patrician, who takes them in after Bell recites some poetry, which includes the title of this episode. They spot some actual books, which are now a rarity, with one containing a part where a prince and a charioteer are discussing the rationale for war. This is taken from the Indian classic, the Mahabharat, an ancient telling of princes, their enemies, and the advice from Krishna. Of course, now I'm thinking about Harry and Krishna, but that's a different kind of Harry. I guess there is a similar dynamic between Bell as the charioteer warrior and Cleon as the prince-emperor pressing for necessary conflict. Interesting to see how that develops. 
Bell learns something of the foundation advances in technology, such as that personal aura and jump technology that does not require those spaces. Selden has two missions. Peaceful diplomacy from the brothers and a more secretive, provocative one for Hober Mallow. It's sweet sorrow in parting between Hober and brother Constant. I was sure he was going to get her name before liftoff, although it was quite funny when she pretended he had got it and then said no. I also did like her joke about waiting three years when he came out, reminding me of that scene from the movie Interstellar, again with time passing differently. Before agreeing, it was indeed only three hours. She's got very good timing, that actress. Although now I'm thinking about that two episodes of time passing differently, I think there's something wrong there. So if somebody inside the vault felt that time had passed for a long time, but there was only a short time for somebody else... Then when you came outside of the vault, well, it should only to you then feel like a very short time before the other person turned up. So I think there might be a bit of a temporal mix up there. But it uh, anyway, it led to a great joke. There wasn't anything from the other Harry or Gail or Salva this episode, but I expect they'll turn up soon. Take care. Alan from England. Hello, Dave and Wayne and all listeners to Sci-Fi TV Rewatch. This is Fred from the Netherlands with some feedback for Foundation Season 2, Episode 4. Coming back to last week's episode first, nobody made a remark about the fact that when Gal and Harry are walking towards these rocks and this, this statue, that you see that she is creating footsteps in the sand and he being an AI at least at that moment still he is not creating footsteps in the sand I think that was very well done with a great eye for detail the only nitpick is that they exaggerated it a little bit too much because one in the filming and second on the way that Carl walked she actually walked quite weird creating extra deep footsteps in the sand just to extra point out the difference okay about episode four a good episode i would give it an a minus perhaps even an a i really liked the interaction between queen serrat and brother dawn she is quite an i think manipulative woman you see that she's getting emotional when she talks about the accident of her family Or was it an accident? Was it an assassination? And she asks questions to Dawn about that. But I really wonder if all these emotions are really played. Because at the end of the episode we see that they are behind the attack on Day's life. And one of the things she did, she didn't put up any makeups to make more drama. At least that's the explanation she gave Rue. And she's bonding with Dawn even suggesting that she better could marry him instead of Day. Well, Dawn has been fooled by women before. Brother Dusk is quite a different story. If you see how he interacts with Rue, it's clearly different. This is, by the way, the way that Rue knows that there are recordings of intimate moments. So this is why Sret asks this officer, Markley, to get the recording of the failed assassination of Day. The story with Bel Rios and Glayman was a little redundant, I think. It was cool CGI and etc. special effects, but what did that story bring us? A little world building, so how is the Empire perceived in the outer regions? Well, they learned a little bit about the magicians that visited Suena. Well, that's where they came for. But that's about it. It did show the relationship between Bell and Glewen, or how this relationship changed. Perhaps after imprisonment, Bell really changed. Or even Glewen changed, being without Bell. It looks a bit like Bell hardened and Glewen softened. Harry in the Fault was a bit a combination of a scientist and a god or something like that. He did ask to be called Dr. Selden, but on the other hand, he also embraces the whole religious thing. 
But yeah, as he explained to Harbour Mallow, it's just a phase a civilization has to go through. And it then will be followed up with another kind of system. I wonder if he knows what that system is. It was nice to see inside the falls and what was happening there. I think that uh, Polly Verisov is more wise than we all think as being a drunk. You also saw he didn't finish the wine he got from Harry. And when he got out of the vault, he was a kind of hesitant. I think this guy has more insights than we think of him. I was amazed that Brother Constant was willing to give Harbomello her jump ship, being a con man. Is he really going to do what Harry asked him to do, or is he just stealing the ship? Well played and funny was how candor brother Constant was about her feelings towards Harbour Mallow. I'm quite sure we will come back to that, although she doesn't think they will. Okay, that will be all for this time. Greetings, all the best, right from the Netherlands. Hi everyone, this is Alan from Minnesota. Not to be confused with Alan from England, but there's probably not too much danger of that. I'm giving this audio dealio a whirl for the first time with feedback for Foundation Season 2, Episode 4, where the stars are scattered thinly. Lots of significant plot developments in this episode, but what I probably loved most about it was the world building and incidental dialogue. I admit to curiosity about the Zionian Rebellion Hober referred to, having happened roughly a half century before the events of the pilot. But I've also seen in various other sci-fi franchises that when they go back and fill in these sorts of things, it's often unsatisfying. So I should probably just appreciate it as an evocative historical illusion and leave it at that. I love Hober's reaction when he sees the incinerated remains of the warden. That was a person? Constant muses, we should have told him. But when he vehemently agrees, she counters that if they had told him, he would have refused to come. Then he points out, I did refuse. It's really some crackling screwball comedy dialogue. Very fitting for this hand solo type. Also hilarious was the very thirsty and hungry Hober warning them not to go over that way because he took a dump over there. That vineyard owner was a pretty interesting character, loyal for decades to his duties as an imperial spy, even as he got no response to his reports, which is frankly pretty bad asset management by the Imperial Intelligence Agency. I wondered if the two soldiers had never seen a book before because books are archaic, or if it is a Fahrenheit 451 type situation. Do they have e-books? Sarah's Cloud Dominion is impressively resourceful, with the technology to speak privately and reverse memory wipes. Plus, having cultivated an agent on the inside, they are more formidable than I thought, but they still seem to be playing a very dangerous game. I'm going with a full A grade on this episode. Great stuff. All right, so we hear from Alan in England, Fred from the Netherlands, and... Alan in Minnesota this week, who's been active on the Facebook group for sure. Um, you know, the, the one thing about Alan in England, he mentions rewatching season one of Good Omens, which I know you said you did as well. Yeah, yeah. I'm always ready to say, oh, I wish I had the time to rewatch pr- prior seasons of a show. And look, I- I'm retired. Clearly, I have time. Yeah. <laughs> but there's just too many things that I want to watch for the first time. Right. I got you that it's just difficult to make that decision to rewatch a prior season. So yeah, I don't know, you know, maybe sometime. And then uh, now you mentioned uh, about the footprints uh, in, in the sand, at least, at least to me, Um, you know, Fred brings that up and that wasn't something I noticed at all. I didn't notice that either. So good catch, Fred. Yeah, and I mean, look, I mean, those of you that have been around the podcast for any length of time know Fred's meticulous attention to detail, particularly back when we were talking about dark, mm-hmm. uh, uh, dare I say legendary. <laughs> there, yeah. I said it. Yeah, you did. You did say it. Okay. Um, 
Yeah, that's good. I, I did not catch it at all. That, that's awesome. That's really cool. I, I wish I hadn't noticed that. I also thought, you know, because Fred was questioning the scenes with uh, Belle and Glaywin, and I, I agree that for sure that, you know, the, the scenes are in there, I think mostly just to really show us how much Belle has changed, right? Um, yeah, I mean, they did reveal some important information about the foundation that Belle needed to know, but really this, to see through Glaywin's eyes how much Belle has changed, but, you know, also to throw some cool action scenes, because without those, there's no action at all in, in this episode. So we really needed those scenes for the, the action that they provided, I think. Yeah, and I think it, it presages the fact that there's going to be trouble down the road that we already see you know, in, in this episode that Glewin sees Bell's reaction as being too reactionary. And you wonder, are, are we going to get into a situation where Bell has to either defy an order? I'm sorry, Glewin has to either defy an order or prevent Bell's orders from being executed because he knows they're inappropriate. So yeah. I, I think that this episode sets that up for uh, sure. For, for sure. And then Alan in Minnesota mentions about, you know, a lot of the incidental dialogue, a number of them we've already talked about strong suit as well as it can be a nuisance because it's, you know, so much about just revealing backstory. And, you know, again, I know you've said many times over the 12 years of the podcast, show me, don't tell me. And, you know, you've gone on record many times about your disdain for voiceover and, uh, you know, I've I've come to see your way of thinking about that for sure. Oh, thank so, you. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't think we necessarily are reaching that point in this episode. No, well, but the, the, what he's talking about, like the Hober Mallow uh, dialogue, I think was great. Like, it's just because, you know, the show is, is such a serious show for most of the time. And now we have this character who's like refreshingly uh, light and funny and you know just kind of a like your your buddy who you know you like hanging out with or something you know like it's not it brings a, a, a little bit of levity here and now into a show that by and large is very very serious now alan in minnesota brings up something about the books that didn't occur to me are books simply outdated or are they outlawed yeah. because my first reaction was outdated I thought outlawed, actually. Oh, okay. But okay. You're, I mean, that's that's a great question. Like they don't really, t- they know what a book is, though, right? True. Like they recognize enough to say, "Whoa, look at this!" So I, you know, that I guess I tend to say outlawed, but you know, right? Maybe and and he mentions we'll later, right? He mentions Fahrenheit four five one, and and certainly in Fahrenheit four five one books do exist but they are basically graphic novels without the words right so uh, you know i i think that obviously they're books but they're not books so we don't know whether people have access to information i, I guess that would be the uh you know the real question okay. um anything else about anybody's feedback um well, just, you know, Alan from England um, mentioned something about, like, the idea of, you know, Dawn potentially being like his father, quote unquote, um, where this is like that concept is even magnified because it's not just like his, quote unquote, father, who's obviously not his father because they're all, but he is that person, right? And that resonates with him and that also Sarah, like, tries to draw it out of him knowing that you are not just, like, the progeny of it. You aren't the progeny of this guy. You are this guy. So what do you think you would do? You know? So that's, I don't know, just kind of like uh, another weird aspect to that whole uh, relationship. Like I do. Yeah. And even mentions to dusk about the fact that once a child is born, he'll be the grandfather. Right. So anyway, all right. Um, Alan in England, Alan in Minnesota. Fred in the Netherlands. Thank you guys so much for your feedback. Uh, really yep. appreciate it. Thank you, everyone. Awesome. Good stuff. All right. So I'm going to make you go first with your grade this week. Uh, I think I'm going to, I think A minus is, okay. is good. Um, I, you know, A minus is kind of my, I liked it a lot, but it wasn't like, 
I didn't lerve it. Okay, well, do I kind of lerve your comments at the beginning? I I was ready for a B. Really? No, no, no. no, I liked it. I thought it was. I thought it was a really good episode. Um, You know, uh, I just, you know, it didn't. You know, it's like when you're watching it and you just know that you're watching. Like, wow, this is a really, really good episode, man. You know, I wasn't feeling that. Okay. I understand. And and I'm going to stick with A- minus as well. So, uh, yeah, I, I felt the same. I thought it was a strong episode. There were obviously a lot to like. So, all right. Um, I guess that's a good place to bring this one to a close, if that sure. sounds good to you. Yeah, I'm good with that. All right. Well, listen, that will do it for this episode of Sci-Fi TV Rewatch. Thank you for joining us. Love to hear what you think about Foundation, Peripheral, you know, maybe you're watching Outlander and, and love to hear what you think about that. Post in the Facebook group if you want to approach it that way. Emails can go to sci-fi TV rewatch at gmail.com. And we'll be back next week to talk about episode five of season two of the Apple TV Plus series Foundation. But until then. You know, Dave, when we, we, we send these, you know, you, you edit this and everything like that. We engineer the, the, the podcast and send it on a Friday but you know sometimes by the time you recognize the trust you may already be complicit in it.